Thank you. Good evening. Open your Bibles to Psalm 25. You'll see it as we look at it tonight, but that uh, amazing grace, that line in there goes right along with what we're looking at. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Um, And that's what we're going to be looking at is the grace of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord. Um, This is a Psalm of David here. In Psalm 25, it's actually an acrostic psalm again. I don't know why I keep picking ones that are acrostic psalms, you know, where they have the, each line starts with a specific letter. This one, it appears to have started out alphabetical, but then there are lines that are out of order or there's a, there's a letter replacing certain ones. And I have my theory about it as we get into it and read it. I believe David sat down and, and wanted to compose and, and write a song to the Lord and began. But you'll see he has these outbursts of prayer as he's meditating on the Lord, as he's thinking about these things and crying out to him. And you see in David a man who, being led by the Spirit, is responding almost uncontrollably to who the Lord is and what he's done for him and and what he can do. And these crying out to the Lord uh, for mercy and forgiveness and and all of these things from the Lord. And we see just this passion and this heart of worship to the Lord. Um, You know, I can can remember in in high school, I I, uh, wanted to be a poet. I I wrote a lot of poetry. Um, Most of it's junk. I I wouldn't let anybody read it. Um, But uh, I, I can... Think of those times where I would sit down and I'd say, I'm going to write an epic poem. I want to write, I have this whole theme. I want to, I want to, I even started one where I wanted to retell the creation story in poetry. Um, I got maybe like two lines into it and, and gave up on it. But, but I, I, you know, I can think of that with David as he's here and, and he's, he's wanting to, to write these things down. And it's almost as if the Holy Spirit takes over and, um, David, in recognition of the Lord and what he's done, just is responding uh, to the Lord and to his moving and to his character and nature. So let's read it. Psalm 25, verse 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. So it starts out here in David. He cries out. Actually, before we keep going, let's pray. We didn't pray yet. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for that time of worship. Lord, as we look at this psalm, as we consider, Lord, just your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, and we, like David, are contemplating those things. And like David, we can see our sin our fallen nature, Lord. I pray that we would be reminded of where you've brought us from, Lord, those things in our lives that that, uh, you've miraculously saved us from, Lord, and and just respond to you in praise. But like David as well, as we consider your holiness and your mercy and your your loving kindness, Lord, that we would recognize those areas of our lives where we we need to cry out to you for forgiveness, Lord, and that we would respond in those areas as well. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us tonight as we look at these things in your name. Amen. So again, David, he, he writes here, he says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That word to lift up, it, it's a permanent setting of the affections on the Lord. That's what David was saying. I, I'm permanently setting my, my whole self upon you. It's a, a leaning on him. It's the idea of carrying your whole self, your whole being to the Lord. Uh, it, it's a, uh, a resting completely on him. This is David's prayer of faith in who the Lord is. And he says, Lord, I'm giving you all that I am. 
Deuteronomy 6, 5, you know it. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The Lord demands all of us, our whole lives, not just part, not the body only, not just our minds, not our personality only, not our spirit only, but everything, all of us. And the Lord wants us not just to say, Lord, have all of me, but to walk in that, to be like David and say, Lord, I'm, I'm giving you everything. And then to, to apply that to our lives, to walk on it. And that's what he says, Lord, I'm lifting my soul up to you, all of myself. I'm setting everything that I am upon you. I'm trusting in you for everything in my life. That's what David was crying out. And it wasn't a boast. It was a prayer of faith for David. It wasn't, Lord, I've done this my entire life. Lord, I'm always doing this. But Lord, I'm choosing to place myself in you, to trust in you. And that's what he says, verse 2, Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. That word trust means to trust in, to feel safe, to be confident, to be careless, is what it says. To not have any anxiety. David, as we will read David here, we can see he has anxiety. He talks about his enemies. He talks about his, the sins of his youth. He talks about his iniquity and how great it is. He talks about all of these things. There's anxiety. But then, as we see in the psalm, he takes that and he says, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm going to place these things on you. Psalm 55:22 says, cast your burdens on the Lord, for he cares for you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved, is what it says. We're to put our trust in the Lord, and that means to be without anxiety. It's a, it's a difficult thing. We were just talking in our men's group on Monday about anxiety, and it, it seems like that's, that's a, a hallmark of the age in which we live is anxiety. I mean, you look at what the world tells us right now, the, the climate change, we have this massive heat wave going on and everybody's sounding the alarm uh, about uh, the climate and the environment and we have issues with the economy and the war in Ukraine and Russia and we have things going on in Korea and, and China and uh, our nation is in turmoil. France is burning. Canada is going nuts. And the world is crazy. And anxiety is there. If we're looking at the world from our own human perspective, our own eyes, it's, that's, that's, that's what comes from that. But we have, in the scriptures, we have the cry from the Lord to us to say, don't be anxious. And it's not because the circumstances aren't there. It's not because we have any strength to resist or to change or to, to uh, redirect how things are happening in the world. But it's like David says, I trust in you. It's because of the Lord. That's why Jesus in Luke 12, he says, Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. He knows it. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. We don't know what the world has in store for us. I, I believe, and you can see it, persecution is rising. We're seeing it even in our own nation. Jim was sharing about a father who... Um, I don't remember exactly all the details, but he, here in our own city, um, would not support his oldest daughter's um, transitioning, um, uh, transgendering. And uh, CPS came and took his other children away from him and that same daughter as well. Here in our own city, uh, 
you guys, and it's not just an attack on the family. It's not these social mores, mores or, or this conservative ideals. It's attack on God and on his scriptures, on what he's established. And if we're Bible-believing Christians, it's an attack on us. It's the world hating us because we're in Christ and it's hated Christ before us. And that's what we're seeing. We're going to see persecution increase in our nation until the Lord returns. I firmly believe that. We're going to continue to see these things. And we need to have this settled in our minds that we can trust the Lord despite the persecution that comes. We should not be people who throw our hands up and run away screaming in anxiety over everything, who bury our heads in the sand and say, I can't deal with this. It's not that we're able to deal with it ourselves, but say, Lord, it's a cry to him. Lord, I can't deal with this. You can, though. Lord, I'm trusting in you. Please, Lord. It's reaching out to him. To not be anxious over these things. To not be anxious if taking a stand for faith in our workplace, we lose our jobs. And the Lord is able to provide for us. It wasn't over some moral stand on my part, but I was fired from my job when I was working for Trident Seafoods. I believe it was a a wrongful thing. That's a long story. But nevertheless, it, it was a scary time. I've never been fired from a job. And I was fired, which meant I couldn't pull unemployment. Uh, We just had another, our third, uh, Wilder was on the way. Mario was pregnant. It it was not a a good situation in my mind. I I, I mean, I left work uh, having to explain to the whole crew that I worked with that I was being fired. And and I was weeping in front of them and, and went home and called my wife and, and, and told her what happened. It was, it was scary, but We resolved to trust the Lord at that time. And the Lord used that time to not only, not only did he provide for all the things we needed, we never went hungry, didn't miss a bill. We didn't lose our home. Uh, I was out of work for several months and the Lord was faithful and preserved us. But even beyond that, there was blessing. There was a difficult time in our marriage before that. I was working the night shift or graveyard shift, trying to do youth group ministry, uh, two young kids at home, a pregnant wife. I was like a, a zombie walking uh, around. I mean, the stories Mariel could tell of me sitting on the easy chair in our living room and falling asleep and then waking up three hours later and telling her, oh, I'm starting to fall asleep. I should probably go to bed. <laughs> not, not remembering even conversations I would have with her. Um, it just, it was, it was, it was a tough time and, uh, but the Lord used that very thing. Not only did he provide for all the needs, but he gave the blessing because the Lord restored and worked on a lot of issues in our marriage at that time when I was able to be home with her and the kids more often, where I was able to actually put more of myself into the ministry that the Lord had called me to with the youth. Um, and there was blessing. So beyond just being able to trust him for these small details. The Lord gives blessing when we step out in faith abundantly beyond all those things that he can provide for us. You know the verse, Philippians 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God doesn't say everything will be solved for you, but it says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds, which is what we need more than anything else, is that our hearts and minds are guarded from being led astray, from being given over to despair, from throwing our hands up and saying, I'm done. That's what we need, and that's what the Lord says. If we, what, what Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, he says, don't be anxious for anything. If you have those fears, if you feel that anxiety, give it to the Lord in prayer with supplication. Be thankful for what the Lord has given you. Let your requests be made known to God. Don't hold it in. Don't act like you're strong and can handle it yourself. Cry out to the Lord. And the result, you have the peace of God that passes understanding. 
which guards your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, is what Paul writes. We should be anxious for nothing. And that's what David's crying out here. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. I'm choosing to place my faith in you so that I get that peace that passes understanding. And he says, let me not be ashamed. Let me not be disappointed by you not following through. David wasn't accusing the Lord of those things, but he was, again, crying out in faith. Lord, I'm trusting in you. Don't let me be disappointed. The Lord's not offended when we cry out to him with prayers like that. He's not offended when we say, Lord, the circumstances around me look like you're not doing anything. But Lord, I'm choosing to trust in you. Don't let me be disappointed. Don't let me be ashamed. In fact, that's a cry of faith to the Lord, knowing that that he can break through. He can perform on your behalf. He can deliver you, give you that peace, provide for you. And that's what David was crying. Let me not be ashamed. Don't let me be disappointed. That same promise is there for us. If we wait on the Lord, if we trust in him, we won't be ashamed or disappointed. So the question we have to ask is, do we feel disappointed in the Lord? Do I feel that? Do I look at my life and say, Lord, I, this is, I, I don't understand what's going on. Lord, why are you not coming through? Lord, why is my life like this? Why are these things going this way? The issue is not with him. But it's either with one of two things. One is our feelings. We're, we're walking in what we feel about the situation around us, where it's all self-focused. Or it's our perspective. Our perspective is not on the Lord. It's on the circumstances or that person's not doing their part or, or they really hurt me or they said something that offended me or, or uh, this is not going the way I planned it. If we feel disappointed in the Lord, it's not him. It's us. And we need to stop and we need to consider, Lord, if I feel disappointed in you, Lord, teach me to have the right perspective. Show me these things that you're doing on my behalf. Teach me to be thankful. Lord, thank you for my very life. Thank you for the things that I do have that you've given to me. All of that. And then our perspective changes. And we can, we can cry out like David, Lord, don't let me be ashamed. He says, let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Who waits in faith, that word says. David, he cries out not just for himself, but for everyone. He, he, he understands that the Lord is not so small that he only deals with one person at a time. The Lord deals with all of us. At the same time, the Lord knows it should be a testimony to us that the Lord, uh, he cares for each and every one of us individually, but also all of our problems that we have. Number one, they're not unique to us. When we, when we face trials and temptations and struggles with sin or, or, or we have issues in our life and, and trials and all these things, they're not unique to us. In fact, the Lord knows exactly what we're going through because he went through all the same temptations that we've gone through, the scriptures say. That Jesus was tempted with all the things we're tempted with and yet did not sin. That Jesus, he lived a life in the flesh here on the earth. He, he experienced these things that we've experienced. He knows our nature and he knows us. And he knows us individually and personally and knows what we need. And he can take care of our needs. It doesn't matter how, how small they are or how big they are in our eyes. It doesn't matter if, if what we have as a need seemingly is less than another. You know, like I talked about us in America having persecution. You look at places across the world and there, there, are, uh, there is... Um, terrible persecution happening in Africa right now, um, in the Middle East, uh, all over the world really, there's terrible persecution taking place. But it doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't care for us and for our needs here. 
that he's only focused on those. But he, he will not let anyone who waits on him be ashamed. But he says, let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. He turns it around and says, Lord, if, if, they're, if they're going on and not acknowledging you, Lord, let them be ashamed because they're trusting in something else. They're not trusting in you. They're dealing treacherously with, with uh, no excuse is what that word means, without cause. So he's praying here, and he continues on. Verse 4, he says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. That word show is to make known. It says, Make known to me your ways. It's the same word as lead that we see down lower. Um, not in verse 5, but further down. And uh, it speaks actually of God's sovereignty to be led by the Lord because he is sovereign. He's the one who knows the way to go. He's the one who's determined the paths for us. He's the one who's established the right way. And that's what that is. David saying, Lord, show me, guide me, make known to me your ways that you've established as the God, the creator of the universe. And he says, teach me your paths. That word teaches to goad with a stick. It's to poke. Say, go this way. Don't go that way. Go this way. Stay in this path. It's like a shepherd leading the sheep and, and keeping them on the path. And that's what David cries out. Teach me your paths. Goad me into the right way to go. I, I'm reminded of Saul uh, who was persecuting the church on the road um, to Emmaus. And uh, what happened when the Lord appeared to him and he was blinded and, and everything. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads, Jesus says. And, and Saul, he had been resisting the Lord. We see uh, you, you wonder if, if there were more opportunities for him uh, to really respond to the Lord beyond, I'm sure there were, beyond what we read in the scriptures where he's confronted with the testimony of Stephen when he's martyred and, and Paul's, Saul's there holding his cloak. As he's persecuting the church all those times and he's resisting the Lord and the gospel and Jesus is his Messiah. And he, but the Lord, he got him, goaded him. Says, you're kicking against the goats, but Paul, you need to give up. And that's what the Lord wants for us. That's what David was crying out. Teach me your paths. Verse 5, it says, lead me in your truth. And that lead is not just like uh, point me in the right direction or let me follow you, but it's literally set my feet upon this path. It's even more active than that. It's like a father helping a child take his first steps and go in that same direction. Set my feet on the truth and continue along. So David, he's not only crying out for uh, his whole life to, to be preserved, to not let his enemies triumph over him, to not be ashamed uh, of trusting in the Lord. But then he goes on and says, Lord, don't let me just sit in that, but Lord, teach me the right way to go. We don't know exactly the timing that this psalm was written, there are some who believe that this was written kind of in the same time period that we've, we've looked at recently uh, where uh, he's in that place where he had uh, sinned uh, with Bathsheba um, and, and the Lord was dealing with him with the consequences of his sin. Um, if that's the case, that's what we see here. It could be too uh, that this is later on in his life. There's some Bible scholars who believe that this was when David was dealing with the after effects of that sin and he was uh, dealing with Absalom his son who had risen up against him and, and had turned the kingdom against him and David was fleeing Jerusalem with his head covered and barefoot and 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 going out of the city and then he has Shimei coming up and cursing him and, and there are those who believe that that's in this place here we don't know exactly but either way we know that David he was crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm trusting in you. And he's crying out now here in verses 4 and 5 for the Lord to show him the right way to, to, to give him guidance on how to act. But we see that there's this 
uh, sin in his life that he's recognizing that the Lord wants to deal with. And so his first step is, Lord, show me. Show me what to do here. Lord, teach me. Guide me. Prod me in the right direction. Lead me in your truth and teach me, he says. And, and it's because of the character of God. In verse 5, it says, For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. That word God of my salvation, that phrase, it's actually literally Elohe Yesha, which I thought was interesting. It, I could be leaping here, but it sounds like uh, it's saying God, Jesus there in Hebrew. Uh, I wonder sometimes if some of these phrases that we have in the Old Testament, if when we get to heaven and we see a, a, a clearer picture of what the Lord has in the scriptures, if we'll realize how literally Jesus was pointed out on every page of the scriptures here. And yet because of just a ignorance or blindness or, or just a, a, a lack of true understanding that there's a tendency to change it to be less than pointing directly to Jesus. I mean, we believe as Christians that this is ultimately fulfilled in and points towards him either way. So I guess in the end it doesn't really matter, but the scriptures are there that Jesus says, in the volume of the book it's written of me. And I, be I believe as a Christian that we can as we study the scriptures, as we look at it, we can see Jesus on every page and what he's done. And ultimately, that's what David was doing as he's crying out to the Lord, says, Lord, you are the God of my salvation. You're the one I can trust in. You're the one who's going to save me. You're the one that I'm going to, to teach me. He says, on you I wait all the day. I, I'm not giving up. Lord, until you act, until you move, is what David is saying. Lord, I'm staying here and remaining in you. And that should be a lesson to us. How often do we just give up in prayer? Maybe we throw up a prayer when we hear a need or we have a need and, and, and then we go on our way and, and kind of forget about it. Or, or we continue on in anxiety or... Uh, striving to make that thing happen or to change the circumstances rather than as David cries out and as the Lord wants us to to wait on him to rest in him to stand in that place where we're saying Lord you're the one who can do this it's not me you're the one who can save me the God of my salvation on you I will wait all the day I will continue to stay here and wait for you so David, he's praying here, and he's praying these things, and, and he's crying out to the Lord for his needs there. And then he begins, as he's meditating on God being the God of his salvation and asking these things of him, he begins to meditate upon his self, himself and his own condition, to think about himself as he's, he's crying out to the Lord. Verse 6, it says, Remember O oh Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from of old. He cries out to the Lord and he says, Lord, remember who you are, who you've declared yourself to be, your very character. They are from of old, from everlasting. His tender mercies. Does the Lord forget? No. No. David, again, he's crying out these things. The Lord's not offended that David's saying, Lord, remember who you are. Don't forget who you are, God, <laughs> is what David's saying there. But the Lord's not offended by that. Again, it's an act of faith that he accepts. David's saying, Lord, I've been taught, I've seen, I've experienced, I've been told that you are merciful. You're full of compassion. That's what loving kindness means in Hebrew, it's compassionate. And not only is it his character, but it's the things he've done, he's done, because what does David say? It's your tender mercies, plural, and your loving kindnesses, plural. It's these things that David has experienced and seen, not only himself, but what he's seen throughout all of Israel's history. 
And he says, Lord, remember those things, for they are from of old. He's crying out and, he, and he's resting upon the character of God. And then he turns and says, Lord, but, verse 7, do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, O Lord. David cries out and he says, Lord, don't remember the sins of my youth. There are many things in my life I can look at in my past and I can just cringe as soon as I think about them. I think for many of us uh, who, who lived, I guess who've lived it all really, uh, we can look back at, our, back at our past and have many things to feel ashamed for. Sins that we've committed, things that we've done against the Lord, Rebellion against him, maybe just foolishness. And many times we can sit there and we can dwell upon those things. And we can stay stuck in that place where we're condemned for those things. The beautiful thing of, with the Lord is that if we've placed our faith in him, he's forgiven us. When we sit and we remember, the Lord says, I don't remember those things. As far as your sins, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. I was reading Harry Ironside, um, great Bible teacher, little books you can get here and there. If, like Dan says, if they're dead, they're read. You should read them. Get his stuff. H.A. Ironside. He was writing about this and he said he was called upon to, to visit an old saint who was on his deathbed. 90 years old. Placed his faith in the Lord when he was 20. And uh, he had gotten sick and was on his deathbed for an extended period of time. And uh, Harry says he went to minister to him and began to talk about the blessings of of being in eternity with the Lord and of following him. And uh, this believer, he stops and says, but it's so dark. All I can see is darkness. And Harry asks him, what are you talking about? And he says, in, in my weaknesses, I've been laying here. All I can think about and remember are all of the sins of my youth, all of these things that I've done in my past. And they weigh heavily on me. And Harry asked him, well, did you place your faith in the Lord and ask for forgiveness for your sins? And the, the old believer, he says, he says, uh, yes, but, but I'm afraid that I've forgotten them, forgot to repent for some of them. And Harry says to the saint, he says, uh, Remember what the Lord said, that your, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. And, and then he points out this verse, and he says, We can cry out to the Lord, Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. And the saint, all of a sudden, the spirit broke through, and, and, and the saint he, hearing these verses, and he says, Well, I guess... I'm remembering what the Lord forgot. And then he had peace, and the Lord gave him that peace in that situation. We need to get to that place. Yes, I truly, firmly believe we need to stop and we need to consider how far the Lord has brought us. Yes, there should be those moments when we say, Lord, thank you that you saved me from that sin that was holding me in bondage. But at the same time, we cannot live in condemnation over those things because it's a lack of faith in what the Lord has done when we do that because he himself has said, I will remember your sins and iniquities no more. As far as the east is from the west, I've removed them from you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. The Lord does that work. It's an act of faith. 
where we say, Lord, these things, they weigh heavy on my heart as I remember them. But Lord, you've dealt with them and you've promised me if I've placed my faith in you, if I've repented of these things, that you remember them no more. And then like David, we can say, Lord, it's according to your mercy. It's because of you. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake. The Lord doesn't forgive us because of anything we've done. Anything we've achieved. Who we are. Where we've come from. For none of those reasons. It's solely for his goodness sake. It's because of his character. Who he is. It's beautiful. There are so many people who criticize the Old Testament. Who criticize and say that God, the God of the Old Testament is a God of vengeance and judgment. But what do we see? The exact opposite. Yes, he's a God who's righteous and holy and judges sin and, and remains pure. Within his presence, no sin can stand. That if we were to come into his presence as sinners, that we would be burned up. Yes, that's who he is, but at the same time, he's a God of mercy, compassionate, long-suffering, full of loving kindness and tender mercies and good. How is that so? It's because of the work he's done through Jesus. It's because of who he is and his very nature and his character that before the foundation of the world, he established the means of salvation for sinners to stand in his presence, to be cleansed of their sins, and to be declared righteous because of what Jesus has done. It's because of his very character and nature. There's no contradiction with God. There's no difference in his character and his nature. It's who he is, holy, righteous, just, loving, gracious, compassionate, forgiving, kind. It's his very character. And we can, if we cry out to the Lord, trust him for mercy. David's not crying out for grace for things that he doesn't deserve. I mean, he doesn't deserve mercy when you look at his life and the things that he's done. He doesn't deserve mercy, so I guess in one aspect it's grace. But he's crying out for mercy. Lord, don't let me experience the consequences of my sin. And we can pray for that. Sometimes there are the hard things we have to go through, and we should accept those things as the chastisement of the Lord, a father who lovingly directs his children in the way that they should go. Disciplines his children. But we can walk with him and we can trust in him. And we can ask him. And I, I think many times there are so many things that the Lord has shown mercy to us that we don't even recognize. That same job I had working for Trident Seafoods, I, 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 I put it lightly that I was a zombie, but I, it was terrible. My, I, was, I would fall asleep all the time. I, I had such a difficult time um, that I, I would leave work. I, I'd start work about 2.30 in the morning and I was out in Anacortes, so I had to drive from Oak Harbor out there. Um, crazy roads. I would come up on people. One time I came entering into Anacortes and there was a truck stopped in the middle of the road on the back road into Anacortes um, straddling the lanes and there was a, a car parked in front of me headlights on and it was this lady uh, and, and I got out and we were checking banging on this truck door and this guy completely passed out had to have been on something I don't know what it was but um, crazy anyway that doesn't have anything to do with this but I would leave that job at 11.30, 10.30, 11.30, depending on my shift. And I would leave Anacortes and I, and I would get to Deception Pass Bridge and not remember how I got there. I mean, that's how tired I was most of the time. Uh, it, and I would get home many times and I would stop and say, Lord, thank you. I, I don't know how I got home without killing somebody or getting in an accident and dying myself. That, that's an extreme situation, but there are times when I'm driving down to the south end for my job and I get frustrated because somebody's driving slow in front of me and, and I'm just, I'm like, I'm late and I need to get there and who's this 
tourist from off island who doesn't know how to drive the speed limit this old lady who can't see over the steering wheel or something you know in my flesh and then i'll look in front and all of a sudden a deer runs right in front of that car and i think lord thank you because <laughs> if i was going as fast as i wanted to go that deer would have run right into me and i would have hit that thing or an accident that i come upon and, and you see lord if if i was just Two minutes earlier, that could have been me in that accident. How many things are there like that in our lives where the Lord, I mean, that's a silly thing. I mean, it, it shows the Lord and his, his graciousness and kindness and sovereignty. But there are so many things that we don't see and recognize and know of what he does for us. And how often he deals with us in his mercy and his grace. And honestly, we can look at all the things in our lives and, and the sins that we have committed when we do remember and say, Lord, thank you. Even in those times where I had to deal with the consequences of my sin, Lord, you were merciful. The wages of sin is death. That's what the Lord says. That's death. When we sin, we deserve death. But in his mercy, the Lord says, my gift his salvation in Christ, his forgiveness, if you place your faith in him. We have mercy. The Lord is merciful just in his very nature. And the fact that we continue to breathe as, breathe as sinful human beings existing on the earth that he created, it's the Lord's mercy. Do you stop and think about how you got to the place you are in your walk and your faith? On Sunday, I was overwhelmed as we were singing in worship as I was looking around and, and, um, and I was thinking about many of the people in the room worshiping as well. And I was, I was just being reminded of all the things that the Lord has done for us. Uh, I was thinking of, of men and women who've been set free from uh, addiction to alcohol and drugs, uh, men who've been given victory from uh, the sin of uh, pornography, uh, people who, who had affairs in their marriage and the Lord's restored their marriages, uh, and all of the beautiful, beautiful stories of redemption that the Lord has accomplished. We have them all around us, all the things that the Lord has done, and he deals with us according to his tender mercies and his loving kindnesses. And if we truly stop and consider these things, it should just be this overflowing sense of joy and thankfulness to the Lord for what he's done and who he is that then causes us or, and enables us to then walk with him in holiness and righteousness because it's him. It's who he is and what he's done. And that's what David says, verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. He's good. He's upright. There's no bad in him. There's no wrong in him. There's no injustice with the Lord, David says. What he says is right. Good and upright is the Lord. That's his character. And look at what it says. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Isn't that beautiful? He's holy. He's good. He's upright. Sinners are not. But because of his character, he teaches sinners in the way. He points them in the way that they should go. That's what that picture is. To point them in the right direction. He teaches sinners in the way. Uh, it, it literally means, uh, it can mean, again, to kind of set your foot on the path, to move your feet, to go in that direction. It also, which is interesting, it also carries with it the meaning of stringing a bow. If you've ever seen a, a one of the old-fashioned not a, like a recurve or compound bow. Recurve is probably, I don't know my bows that well. But an old-fashioned bow. I've seen some, some people string them. And, and you have the bow string just short enough that you have to put a lot of tension on a bow. And it takes a lot of weight. And many times they'll stick that bow on the ground, one end of it, and they'll step on the wood and step on it and bend, bend, bend until that bow can, string can be strung. And that's that same picture there, is the Lord's putting his foot on us, saying, no, you've got to go this way. Come on. And putting the tension on us, putting the string to bend us in the shape 
to where he can use us for what he wants to use us to. And that's that picture. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. How are we taught by the Lord? There's one thing that keeps us from having this and experiencing this, and it's pride. That's the one thing that restricts and restrains the Lord from working in our lives is pride. Verse 9, it says, The humble, he guides in justice, and the humble, he teaches his way. The humble. It's in humility. If we come to the Lord in humility, he'll teach us. He'll guide us. He'll show us his way. But if we resist, if we have pride, if we say, nope, I'm not going to do that. Nope, I'm not going to give up this thing. Nope, I'm not going to confess. Lord, I'm going to do it my own way. Then we're not going to be taught. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Again, here's this dual nature, if you will, of the Lord. The mercifulness and the truth, the holiness, the purity. And they come together in the Lord and in who he is and in his character. It says, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. So there's that obedience to him. The requirement is the humility coming to him and saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to keep your covenant. I'm going to keep your testimonies. I'm going to place my faith in you. Lord, let me not be ashamed. I'm going to trust in you. Teach me your ways. Show me your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in these things. And it's for his sake, for his character. Verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity for his great. So he's, again, he's meditating on the Lord and his goodness and what the Lord does. And David says, Lord, My sin is so great, but forgive me for it. In contemplating how good the Lord is, there there is this thing that should take place in us, and that's the ministry of the Spirit in us. As he calls to mind the Lord's goodness, he calls to, to our minds his standards of holiness and righteousness because it's all one and the same in the Lord. And in his standards of righteousness and holiness, it sheds light on our hearts and our lives to show those areas where we are in opposition to the Lord. Those sins that we have, where we need to ask for forgiveness. And that's what the Lord wants from us. That's what David's crying out, says, for your name's sake, O Lord. And again, it's not for him. David says, not for me, Lord. No, for your name's sake, your character, your nature. For you, Lord, forgive my iniquity, for it's great. David said he's not, he's not playing down his sin at all. In fact, that word iniquity, it's not just like a sin or, or it's kind of a difficult word because we don't really use it in our modern English. And so I don't think we really understand or get a, a good grasp of what that means. But it literally in the Hebrew, it means to be perverse and depraved. It's this idea of everything that comes out of me is sinful, is what David is saying. Lord, my my iniquity, it's great. And truly, honestly, when we look at our hearts and our lives, if there's sin there that we haven't dealt with, it's great. It is great. Apart from the Lord, we are perverse and depraved. That's what the scriptures teach. At the fall of man, sin entered the world, death through sin, and man, rather than being in that exalted place uh, as the Lord's uh, crown of creation and, and having this ability to have this divine relationship and communion with him is now broken. And not only that, but the mind is broken and fallen. That's what we read throughout the Old Testament. That apart from the Lord, there's no one who does good. There's no one righteous. No, not one. All sin. Everyone goes astray. Each one does what's right in his own eyes. The mind of man, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? The scriptures say. Apart from the Lord, we are depraved and perverse. But there's forgiveness if we ask the Lord. If we seek him, if we come to him, that's the issue that that 
we as Christians should take with, with things like psychology. Psychology says man's mind is, bro- is good from the very beginning and just needs to be fixed and seeks to deal with issues and, and, and symptoms and problems in the minds of, of people rather than dealing with the root cause of all of these issues that we experience and see with the brokenness of people's minds. That our minds don't start out good from the very beginning. That our souls and our natures are not good. Sin is the issue that we deal with and struggle with. That's why the scriptures are what we need to use when we're dealing with those things, those issues, the, the, the consequences of sin. Uh, it is only through the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit that our minds can be healed and set free and renewed. And it's through the work of the Lord that, that we are transformed and changed for his name's sake and we're forgiven. Verse 12, who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. I love that. David says, look around. Who's the one that fears God? What does he look like? It's the one that the Lord is teaching in the way that he should choose. It's the one who's submitted to the Lord. In our modern Christianity, many times uh, you see it on TV and YouTube and the radio stations, the Christian radio stations and stuff like that, uh, that these men and women who make claim to be God-fearing men and women to be uh, being used by the Lord greatly. And yet there's truly no fear of God in them. They're in opposition to the scriptures. Their attitude is not one of humility, but it's one of pride. It's not one that is in submission to the Lord, but it's in opposition, saying, I'm going to go my own way. Apart from the scriptures and the ministry of the Spirit together, we don't know the right way to go. We don't know how we should live. Anyone who says the scriptures take a back seat to the Spirit in my life is wrong. The Spirit of God will always speak according to the scriptures. There will be no contradiction because it's the very spirit of God who inspired the scriptures, who gave us the things that we we read and, and, and we can study and know in his word. It's God himself who gave these things to us. But on the other side of the coin, we can't just sit and read these things and have a head knowledge of the scriptures and say we're okay. We need the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to show us our sin and to not allow us to be prideful and, and to teach us the way that we should go, to teach us in that fear of God. It's the Spirit working through the Word in our lives. And the sign of that is a fear of the Lord. It's an awe. It's a, it's a fear, literal fear of God for His judgments a respect for him, a worship towards him for who he is and his character. And it's then a willingness to allow him to teach us the right way to go that he chooses. You see that? It's a submission to him. It's not our own choices. A a Christian, a believer, a, a, a man, a woman that fears the Lord says, Lord, teach me in what you want for me. Not my will, but your will. And here's the benefit, verse 13. He himself shall dwell in prosperity. In the Hebrew, it actually says his soul shall lodge in goodness. I love that. When we are taught by the Lord, when we fear him, when we say, Lord, this is what seems right to me, 
Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Lord, this seems right to me, but I'm choosing to do what you want me to do. Lord, the world says this is how I should do these things, but your word says otherwise. Lord, I'm submitting to you. We as believers should continue to grow different, separate from the world. The world is constantly getting darker and darker. And, and, and the things that we had that looked good, that maybe were based in Christian values and, or biblical values and good things that we have in our society, more and more they're going in complete opposition to those things. And we as a church should not be just maintaining a distance between us and the world. That distance should be getting wider and wider where what we stand on and what we stand for should become stranger and more radical to the world as each day goes on. Because the world, if the world is continuing to get worse and worse and to go towards this what we see in the end times and the Bible talks about and to go in those, that way uh, of depravity and, and uh, what we read about in Romans 1, all of those things taking place. We as the church, as believers, we should be standing upon what God has said and not moving to remain there in that place. And when we do that, our souls are lodged in goodness we know that we're in the right place. We're in His will. We're staying with Him because we're remaining on that path with Him. It says, And His descendants shall inherit the earth. When we are obedient to the Lord, it's not just us who benefit. It's the people around us. It's our children, our wives, our husbands, our co-workers, our neighbors, our nation, our city. They benefit when we're following the Lord. And then we come to verse 14. I'm almost out of time here. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. This is the very heart of this psalm. Uh, this is my favorite verse of this, I, and I wrote down here, I don't know how biblical it is, but it, I just wrote it, and I said this is the holy of holies of this psalm, this verse. Because what do we see here? The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. It's not just some like little secret knowledge. What this is saying is intimate fellowship, counsel, um, joining together, meeting together, a personal intimate relationship with the Lord. And that's what David's saying. There's this intimate, secret, personal counsel, relationship, communion with the Lord. When we fear him. It's not this distance and separation. It's nowhere drawing near to him. And we have personal relationship with the Lord. Ultimately that's Jesus. That's him. And that's what David says. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. To declare to them his covenant. All the things that his covenant has to do. The scriptures talk about the new covenant that the Lord has with us as we place our faith in him. And I think David here, he was getting this little glimpse of that in his relationship with the Lord. And we've seen when, when we fear him, when we choose to be obedient to him, then we have this intimate, relationship with him where we're we're led we're guided we're shown the right way we're taught we're forgiven we're, we have our faith built as we experience the lord's goodness but like the scriptures say the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge it starts with that fear that acknowledging who he is and what he's done Acknowledging our sin before him and trusting in him for his forgiveness and for his very character and nature. And then we have his fellowship and his counsel and his secret with us. 
And then we can cry out, like David says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. This was a, a prayer of faith. He said, he, he's come to all of this and he's cried out for uh, forgiveness for the sins of his youth, for forgiveness for his iniquity now that is great. He's cast himself upon the Lord for his goodness and his compassion and mercy. And he's asked the Lord to show him the right way. And then he's come to him in fear and in humility. And he has the Lord come to him in this relationship. And he says, my eyes are ever towards the Lord. He's not going to be, I'm not going to be disappointed in him. He'll pluck my feet out of the net. It's beautiful. What do we have? You guys know the verse. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You guys don't have to turn there. Um, I have my bookmark there. I'll get, get it. Um, verse 12, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. But listen, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. All right? So we need to understand that. No temptation overtakes us, such as is, except such as is common to man. It's common. But here's the answer. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Paul writes, to Corinthian, the Corinthian church there. Uh, that's what David was crying out for. So I'm, I'm placing my faith in you. My eyes are toward you. I can trust that you'll pluck my feet out of the net, out of the snare, and we can have the same thing. The Lord, if we've placed our faith in him, if we fall upon him for mercy and grace, and we, we look at all of these things in our lives, and we say, Lord, forgive me for these things, then we can trust and walk in righteousness and victory with him where when we do come into temptation which is common to man everybody experiences it the lord provides a way out in each and every circumstance and situation but when our eyes are not on the lord then we don't see that way out when our eyes are on ourselves on the temptation on other things on our sin on all these other things then we're ensnared we're tripped up. We're, we're stuck. But when we place our faith and our eyes on the Lord and on Him, He shows us that way out and that, that direction that we should go. It's beautiful. It's, 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 <laughs> it's all about the Lord. It's all about Him. And He continues on, and we'll just read the end here, uh, in this final prayer that He says. And so for all of this that He's rested on, He says, Lord, verse 16, turn yourself to me. And have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. He says, Lord, I'm alone, and I'm in pain. I'm in trouble. He says, the troubles of my heart have enlarged. That word troubles actually means a rival wife. So it's, there are things that are competing for your attention in my heart and for me doing the right thing. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Again, he comes back to, he's not righteous. There's no reason that the Lord should, but he, except for the Lord's character and nature. He says, Lord, look on me, forgive my sins. And then he can cry out in faith and say, Lord, stand between me and my enemies. Consider my enemies, for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. It's not, again, because David's righteous, but it's because of the Lord. And he says, verse 20, keep my soul and deliver me. And then he goes back to what he started to talk about in verses uh, 1 through 3. Keep my soul and deliver me. He says, Lord, I'm giving you my soul now in verse 1. And now he says, Lord, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in you. And then he says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. He's not saying let my integrity and uprightness preserve me. It's the Lord's integrity and uprightness and what he causes to come to fruition in the life of those who place their faith in him and fear him. Those who wait for him, as David says, that it's those things that preserve us because of who he is. That's beautiful. And then David, is, it's interesting, he cries out the, at the end, redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. 
So David, I think as king, he sees the forgiveness and the things that the Lord is doing in his heart and his life and the faithfulness of the Lord. And then he looks around at the nation around him and says, Lord, you can do the same for all of these. And that's where we need to be as well as we recognize and contemplate the forgiveness and the goodness of the Lord in our lives to look out and say, the Lord can do this for the people around me as well. And to pray for them and to share the gospel with them and to speak with them. But we need to, we need to trust in the Lord. That's the whole point of this psalm is we should trust in the Lord. He, he gives us what we need. He, he's done the work for us on the cross he, he is good and righteous. He, he won't let us be ashamed. Uh, he gives us the peace that we need, the holiness. He teaches us. He's gracious towards us. He can be trusted and he is faithful. Let's pray.